and welcome to the Little Bird Podcast. My name is Dan Ledbetter, and with me, as always, is the lovely and talented founder and CEO of Little Bird Marketing, Priscilla McKinney. Hello, Priscilla. Well, hello. Fancy meeting you here. I know, right? Uh, it seems like we're we're always here <laughs> in some Our, fashion. In what I like to call the World Wide Web. Yes, or the WWW, as uh, <laughs> those young folks say. So one of the things I wanted to talk about this morning was something you had mentioned, I believe it was in our first podcast. Uh, you were over at a client, and they had a sign on the wall that, I can't remember the exact wording, but uh, if I could paraphrase it, it was like, terror, it's what's for breakfast. Right. It was actually at another agency, and uh, it was right after we had gone through a massive F5 tornado in our town, and three weeks later, my business, my offices burned to the ground and I needed to get out of town. I needed some perspective. Right. <laughs> I needed to, you know, see a big picture right. again. And I made a big ask and several agencies out in Portland, Oregon allowed me to come in and be a fly on the wall wow. really for a couple of hours here and there. And I just kind of just got my legs back under me. It was a real gift they gave me. Yeah. But in that, in someone's office, that's what was hanging. And I thought, who better to know that than someone else in my industry? Sure. And I, it so resonates with me. And I, I think about it a lot. And I can't remember if it was terror. It's what's for breakfast. <laughs> or it said terror. It's not just for breakfast anymore. Right. <laughs> it can span <laughs> multiple meals is what I'm thinking. Right. It just doesn't matter. Either way. It makes me laugh, and, you know, I, you know, true humor really makes you laugh because it's true. Right, right, absolutely. And that's one of the things I think, I can't remember who said it, but someone said that there is always an element of truth in humor. And in the case of this, and especially when you think about it from a marketing standpoint, I mean, really, that is the motivation, that is the drive. It's like it... If if you're not scared to death, then something's wrong because you're not pushing yourself and it's not, you know, you're not pushing yourself outside your boundaries. So let me ask you this. When you see that sign, when you read those words, what, what does that mean to you? Well, it feels very familiar to me because this just happened yesterday. I had a client have that final vetting meeting. And at the end of that meeting, they stroked us a fairly large check. Right. And... When I take that check from a client, there's all this trust being imported over to you. And if you don't have a feeling of terror or a sobering thought about the fact that you have a monumental task in front of you, right. then I really don't think that you should take that check. Mm. Wow, that's an, interesting, that's an interesting way to put it. Because really, you're taking the money up front, and they're trusting you with an idea. And they're saying, look, take this. Here's, here's the rough sketch. Mm -hmm. We want you to flesh this out. Mm -hmm. And, man, I can only imagine it's kind of like, you know, the quarterback getting the ball on the snap and then going back and hoping <laughs> to God that there's somebody at the other end when he throws it. You know, it's, I can imagine there is that anxiety and that, that terror. So let's, so let's break this down a little bit more because obviously this is a new client that you're talking about. Tell me about a past client where you walked into the meeting and that, that, that phrase became so paramount and so clear to you. Well, first of all, let me address what you said about, you know, making that similar to 
a quarterback because it is just like that. That quarterback has that sense of terror because there's the urgency. There's a moment. This thing has to be done right now. Right. I can't go home and think about it. Um, but he also is relying on instinct, on hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of practice, right. on a fantastic team. Yes. He's got a defender. You know, There's all of these elements that I think are very similar. And I think that having terror, unfortunately, a lot of people don't admit it enough. And I think that's a shame because I think if people would admit it, they would be able to really have more people help them understand the scope of the work that needs to be done. Mm. So having a little bit of humility and admitting that any new project has an element of terror, I think creates this almost this void, like what are we going to do? And it's so beautiful for me as an owner and a manager of creatives to right. see people step into that void. Mm. And I think if you go back to the football player, it's that coach on the sideline that is thinking, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, what is he going to do? And then there's this boy and boom, that's when a beautiful play is made. Right. When they rely on their instincts and they use the team and they do something that they've done a million times in practice, but they've never done it just like that in that moment under that kind of pressure. Right. Right. Exactly. I think there's a term, I think there's a term, like from the moment the ball is thrown, and there's that, that I guess what we would call that dead space in between, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, I, I believe the term is called liminal space, huh. where from the moment you, like you step off of a ledge, like if you're going to jump, the moment you leave the ground and you're in midair, it's mm-hmm. that liminal space where really anything could happen. And I think that that's where people get stuck is they fear the mm-hmm. liminal space, which mm-hmm. is where all the beauty happens because that's when everything's freed up and it can either be the most, you know, you're either going to uh, succeed gloriously or fail mm-hmm. gloriously. Right, right. Well, I, I love that metaphor and I'm, that's funny because I'm not a big one for sports metaphors, but I think that that really works. And I do think that liminal space, you say, is the true beauty of creating a truly unique idea. Right. You know, and as we know, there's nothing new under the sun. Somehow you're repackaging something, but we're creative people. And just as humans, we're wanting to create. Yes. And if we can't get into that liminal space, then I don't think we truly do what we were intended to do. Mm, And I look at things online of amazing, amazing creativity, and I'm just blown away. I think I would have never thought of that. Right. But I just love the bravery that there is with creativity. You have yes. got to put yourself out there. You've got to be afraid and you've got to be brave at the same time. And I get that quote from Brene Brown. Yeah. She's a very great speaker about how creativity thrives because of an embracing of vulnerability. Yes. And I think that's what really speaks to me about that idea of terror. When someone hands you a new product, please make me a million dollars. You're like, out of this, really? Right. <laughs> You've got to be kidding me, surely. <laughs> Let me read but, up on my alchemy and see if I can turn this into gold. <laughs> but that is, you know, at the end of the day, no matter how sexy you want to make marketing, That is what we're trying to do. We're trying to increase the bottom line of our clients. We're trying to, you know, garner them a bigger share of their particular market. Right. Now, that's something, too, that I wanted to touch on is, like, 
you at Little Bird Marketing. I mean, I'm sure people come in and they, they'll give you the idea. You guys will talk it over. They'll feel it's a fit. They'll cut you a check. I mean, do they, what do you, what do you think? Are people expecting like a guarantee that it's absolutely going to be, uh, you know, a dead winner every time or what? Uh, talk about that a little bit. Well, I think first of all, it comes down to being very honest with a client and clarifying what exactly it is that we do. Right. And in order to clarify for that, and in order to clarify that for a client, you first have to have that clear in your own mind. Sure. And that clarity of what it is that we offer is a long road. At least for me, it was personally. Yeah. And so I think once you're at that place, I don't get worried about that with a client because I'm fortunate enough to have clients who will sit and have conversations like this and we discuss the fact that there is no guarantee. And the reality is that marketing, for the large part, it is really some kind of a social experiment. Mm -hmm. You know, if you, let's be just even ridiculous. I mean, would you have taken on the marketing of the Snuggie? <laughs> you know? Ab absolutely not. I, You know, it's funny that you mentioned the Snuggie because I laughed and ridiculed that thing from the moment I saw it on TV I'm going it's a backwards cape somebody like uh, made it backwards you know what's a, it's like a it's like a uh, a nice fuzzy straight jacket are you gonna tell me you bought one uh yeah two <laughs> I did and that's the thing it's like and this is what this is what is so funny about that whole scenario is I made fun of that for at least a year and a half and then I was sitting on the couch one time and I was going you know, I want to get up and grab the remote, but I don't want my arms to get cold. And oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I might have to cut this podcast short. That's cracking me up so hard. <laughs> but it's, oh, but it's I true. I love you, Dan Ledbetter. <clears throat> well, I love you. You are the people we are marketing to. <laughs> see, and that's the thing. It's like I sometimes I hate myself because I am actually a marketer's dream because mm -hmm. I can get so sucked up into the – what is it? The perceived need of something mm -hmm. like, like the George Foreman grill. I'm sitting right. there going, well, yeah, I want to cook something and have all the fat run down these grill things and, and <laughs> make it healthy. You know, I, I want to eat that 32 ounce steak without fat. And, and it's like, I'll buy into it. And that's what I think is so brilliant about, you know, what you guys do is like, you see the product and it's like, you're not trying to sell the product. It's you're selling the need for the product, and right. that's what I think is so is so brilliant uh, about that. And, and but, the alleviation but, of some kind of pain if you yes, buy this product. Absolutely, and that's what I think. It's so funny you brought up the snuggy aspect because on face level, if someone were to walk into a room and say, "Here, you're going to need one of these," I would go, "You are so smoking crack right now. Uh, <laughs> I, why do I want one of those?" But yet, here, two years later, I've got. A camouflage one that I wear sitting on the couch. Okay. I'm not laughing at you. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> you are absolutely laughing at me. I just have one more question for you, Dan. Yeah, please. Do you own a pet rock? All right. True confession time. Oh, I knew I, it. I actually got one. Now, this, this may be a little bit before your time. Back when I was a kid, when that whole campaign came out, and there were actually TV commercials. Right. With the pet rock, and they they were so brilliant because they took this idea of a rock and making a pet out of it, and they had the whole little cage, and they had the the box that came in, and the instruction sheet on how to how to feed it and take care of it. I bought in, and I told my mom, I go, Mom, I need a pet rock, and she went out. I think it was I think it was like five dollars or something in nineteen seventy. Gosh, when was that? Like seventy two, seventy three, or something like that. And she went out and bought me one, and. 
Yeah, absolutely. I yeah yeah. So anything that you're selling, Priscilla, just send right. me a, a one sheet on it, and I'll probably buy it. <laughs> well, what was the thing? It's funny you say that's your generation, okay? But what was the thing first called when it was the first electronic pet? Gigapets? Is that oh right? Oh my gosh! Uh, what was it called? I think it was Gigapets. Yeah, I never. That's now right. I never had one of those. Never. And I remember thinking, what? Who's going to take care of an electronic pet? Well, let me tell you, with the children in my house, I am taking care of so many electronic pets right now. <laughs> I am taking care of dragons. I'm taking care of unicorns. I'm taking care of uh, Scottish marauders. I'm taking care of, I mean, it, it just goes on and on. Good it, it's so funny. But it's the same idea, you know. And so where I go back to is this idea, it is a social experiment. Right. And so we're very clear with our clients that we can't guarantee a particular result, but what we can do is stick to our process and make it transparent. Right. And so we have a particular system we use. They can see what's going on in real time at our office. It's not a video stream or anything. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, on our work board, they can see what's happening, who's working on it, what the progress is being made, what the stats are coming back, right. you know, from certain online efforts or, or uh, you know, TV reach or whatever it is. And so they're able to work with us. And my real push to them is, no, it's not a guarantee. We are going to work very hard for you, like it were our own business. And we're also going to stay flexible. And when something isn't working, we are going to come to you and tell you this isn't working. Mm. The budget we put into this bucket over here is yielding nothing. Where can we quickly move it? Let's let me let me move it here, not based on a gut, a feeling or whatever, based on the stats that I'm getting back. Can we move very quickly to write, you know, our plan based on the feedback we're getting? Right. And so that's to me what I do guarantee is that we will be in communication with them and that we'll share with them what we know and what we're learning at the time because we are learning, always learning. Gotcha. And so, you know, the Snuggie, the Pet Rock, I bring that up because, you know, you probably, you know, if you owned a marketing agency at the time, you probably would have passed on that idea. I probably would have. Well, actually, I probably would have bought it because <laughs> I'm just that way. I'd probably be I'd probably be a great uh, test marketer, but not mm -hmm. a marketing company. Right. Yeah. Yeah, you would. Well, let's talk about that. Test marketing. You know, when you talk about guarantees, that's kind of the thing that comes up. You know, people want you to deliver the guarantees and the test marketing. But let me assure you, they do not want to pay for market research. Right. Right. Rare. Absolutely. Rare is the company wants to pay for that. They want you to go, you know, take the product and test it out and come back and let them know, is this going to fly? And so people want you to go out and test market their product, but right. it's rare the client who wants to pay for market research. Well, I mean, and it's not cheap. I remember I was part of a focus group for UPS. And really? I, yeah, it was, this was, gosh, at least 14 years ago. And they brought, like, there was 12 people in a room, and mm -hmm. we each got 150 bucks and a little toy UPS truck. And we sat around and talked about, UPS and what we liked about it, what we didn't like, what we'd like to see improved. And there really, the odd part was there was really no, well, at least from my standpoint, there wasn't any former structure to the discussion, but it seemed like this big overall picture. And I think what they did was they, they led us pur purposefully through the ins and outs of what UPS wanted to find out. And it was, it was pretty amazing to be a part of that. And, but I'm sitting there thinking, man, that's, that's a lot of money. You know, that, that's, that's twelve hundred dollars uh, just 
well, no, more than that. That's like sixteen, seventeen hundred dollars just for the people. Right. Not to mention the place that they rented to do it and all the other stuff. So, yeah, right. I can I can see where where it would be a little bit scary for people to say, well, you know, give me you know twenty five hundred bucks and we can get a, a test market together. Right. But you know, first of all. With your wit, I would like to go back and see what your answer was when they asked you, what can Brown do for you? (laughs) (laughs) Well, this was – actually, that's funny because this was before that slogan came out. Oh, my gosh. Well, that's what you see, you know, these huge agencies and, you know, large corporations. They test market and they – do their market research, but that's, that's at a level that's so large, the magnitude of it. For example, you know, you'll be visiting your, you know, nephew in Tennessee and, you know, you see on the shelf, I don't know, smoked chicken flavored double caffeine Sprite. Right. (laughs) And you're like, what? We don't have this in California. Exactly. I wonder why, you know, and so they're actually doing exactly a marketing plan on a smaller scale to yeah. test market. And so it's hard to explain to people, you know, some market research, you know, really after an initial foray of maybe focus groups and, you know, I, we don't, it, this podcast isn't to go into all the different things that people can do for market research, but sure. you know, you see these large corporations do it as basically doing a real campaign, nothing different than it, except for that they just do it on a smaller scale and see what comes back. Right. And so kind of go back to what it is we're discussing about the idea there is no guarantee there is a social experiment really going on when we're marketing. But I have to say, I think it's not horrible for us in the world of social media and online stats. And there's a real beauty to what's out there and what you can very quickly see from, you know, if you're doing pay-per-click or if you're even the analytics you can put on, you know, your website, a lot of uh, tracking that you can do to see where people are on your site, where they're staying, how long they stayed, where are they hovering their mouse. You know, there's a lot of information coming back. And so this is where we talked a little bit the other time about what a unique place an agency is because while we're all supposedly so artsy fartsy, somebody's got to be looking at the numbers. Right. Exactly. You have to really analyze what's going on. You've got to talk about it with your client and then you sometimes have to put it in front of your client and say, this is what you're, we're seeing. What do you think we should do about this? Here are my suggestions. You're paying me for an expert opinion, Right. but sometimes I find that the client has a very good gut feeling about something about their own product. And it would be very stupid of me to not listen to it. Right. Exactly. Because you you have to at least tap into the vision and the passion that the person who created the product has. Because they're the ones who said, wow, I see this need. I see that this could be the filler for that hole. Right. And I, I need to, you know, get that out there. And to really delve into that, I think is something that a lot of people oftentimes, I'm not saying all the time, but a lot of people oftentimes will overlook and say, okay, great, thank you, I'll run with it, right. without going back and checking in with the person and saying, well, what led you to this point? What do, what do you see? What, what, are, what ideas do you have? Exactly. Well, and, you know, a little deeper in that is I just wrote a blog post called Three Little Words, I Don't Know. Mm, <laughs> it's just right. this idea of don't let people around you, either your employees or certainly yourself, anybody else try and pretend that they know something that they don't know. It's so dangerous in marketing. It's okay to go back to a client and say, I don't know. This is what the data is telling us. This is what we do know. But here's the area where I don't know. 
let's make this decision together. And that's how I think we don't get into trouble with guarantees or these ideas of, well, you know, what is this going to bring me? Right. I'm I'm just I'm going to stick to the process and I'm going to be very clear with people. And to me, that's telling the truth. That's telling the truth on two levels, telling the truth to the client. And it's telling the truth out in your marketing, in your story. And so I, I, I don't really think it's a problem so long as that's what's going on. Exactly. I, I agree with you 100 percent. So it's terrifying. Yes. Yes. <laughs> which which brings terrifying. us back to that. <laughs> That really, I mean, it really is. And so that's, if you have no stomach for terror, do not open an agency. Yeah, exactly. Uh, open an ice cream parlor. That would probably be a better... Uh, better. Yeah, place. absolutely. Well, Priscilla, thank you for taking the time to sit down and really unpack this whole idea of embracing terror. And I think that's really the key here, is that, that you shouldn't be afraid of, of, that, of that feeling of terror, because that really is what spurs you on to really open up your creativity and really expound on an idea. I, I think that's just brilliant. Well, listeners, we would love to hear your feedback on, on terror number one, and if you had it for breakfast or lunch or whatever meal you prefer to have it with. Uh, so you can always leave us a, uh, a message on our website, on our Facebook page, or wherever you downloaded this podcast from. We would love to hear what you would like us to talk about as well, because this is really your podcast for the Little Bird Marketing Company, the home of cage-free thinking. My name is Dan Ledbetter again with Priscilla McKinney saying have a great day. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.